Please turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24. General Douglas MacArthur, April 19th, 1951, stood before Congress. He'd been relieved of his command in Korea by President Truman. And uh, General MacArthur said, uh, when I was at the military academy, uh, they had a song we'd sing and one line said that old soldiers never die, they just fade away. And so now, having done my best to serve my God and my country, I'll just fade away. Now, well, Joshua kind of makes a final statement here to the people of Israel as an old soldier. And uh, yet... He detects in them a divided heart. He is gravely concerned of what will happen to the nation. Have the tendency to defection from truly walking with God. And he makes the last effort to wed them thoroughly to the Lord. He detects this divided heart. And so he challenges them to consecration. In uh, verse 14 of chapter 24, Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. Here's this challenge to consecration. Notice who he's addressing here. He's addressing the people of Israel. In a sense, we'd say he's addressing the visible church, those who profess to be followers of the true God. And he calls on them for this consecration. What were they being challenged to do? Serve the Lord. That involved fearing the Lord. He says, serve him in sincerity and truth. Have a true reverence for him, awe for his majesty, fear of displeasing him. That uh, today we would say serving the Lord involves a real surrender to Jesus Christ as God the Son, represented in the Old Testament by the Lamb, who would be offered daily and then on certain occasions during the year, such as the Day of Atonement and the Passover and so on, uh, big occasions when they were reminded that they could not approach a holy God in and of themselves, that they had to have a, a high priest and a sacrifice uh, as they approached God, or they were not acceptable. They could not be accepted by a holy God because of their sinful nature and their sinful history. Uh, we can only approach God through a high priest and through a sacrifice. Jesus was the true high priest and he offered himself for our sin. He was the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. And so we come in recognizing that, placing our faith in him as our approach to God. Trusting God to accept me because of Jesus Christ. Faith in a person and surrendering to a person. That's uh, that's serving the Lord, and then that being lived out uh, as 
when we do that, there's a real change in our lives. He lives within by His Spirit, and it evidences itself in the way we live, evidence itself. Serve Him in sincerity and truth. He knew that while they outwardly seemed to be doing that, that inwardly they were harboring false idols. They were still practicing idolatry. Uh, and so he says, Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. The other side of the uh, Jordan River here, and so on. Now, sever from these false gods. Put away the strange gods. He specifies uh, which gods he had in mind, the one that your father served there and in Egypt. Well, what are some of the idols harbored today among us right here? Materialism, an obvious one, uh, where we give far too much worship, allegiance, energy, effort to material things. They occupy far too important a place in our lives. They're what make us happy and what make us sad. If I can get this, then I'm happy. If I can't get that thing, then I'm unhappy. Uh, this is what drives us. This is what motivates us. Material things often. That's idolatry. Uh, when we let them take too big a place in our lives. Uh, Jesus said, don't be anxious what you'll eat, what you'll wear, what you drive in, what you live in. After all those things do the Gentiles seek. That's the way the non-Christian thinks. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, His righteousness. All these things will be added. God will provide. Uh, <clears throat> social approval is another, another idol that we'd be guilty of worshiping. We want the approval of our peer group, whether it's a school or whether it's the office, uh, social group, whatever it may be. And uh, we're, we're tended to compromise on our stance in order to have uh, their approval. Um, <clears throat> we seek the praise of men far too much. Pleasure. Uh, sports. Man alive. If, if we, sports is getting to be a real idol in this country. Incredible. Uh, we're far more impressed with a man's sports ability than his character. So often. That's idolatry. Uh, sensuality, excitement, the music, the movies, and so on, and things we, we accept. Uh, we've referred before to G.I. Packer's book, Hot Tub Religion. And he says what, what we really want sometimes is a hot tub religion. He said he had an experience of being in a hot tub. And uh, as he relaxed there, he got to thinking, this is the perfect symbol of mod the modern root in religion. The hot tub experience is sensuous, relaxing, floppy, laid back, not in any way demanding, whether intellectually or otherwise, but very, very nice, up to the point of being great fun. Many today want Christianity to be like that and labor to make it so. The ultimate step, he said, would be to clear the church auditorium of seats and install hot tubs. That'd really... We might get a room and try that and see if it helped. <clears throat> no. 
he says, Jesus Christ then demands self-denial as a necessary condition of discipleship. Self-denial is a summons to submit to the authority of God as Father and Jesus as Lord to declare lifelong war on one's instinctive egoism. And uh, he says that uh, Christ-like habits uh, of action and reaction, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, are ingrained most deeply as we learn to maintain them through experiences of pain and unpleasantness. Uh, the opposite of hot tub religion, what most folks are seeking today. Well, Joshua addresses this, and he calls on them to sever themselves, to deal with these idols, to put them away. Make an honest examination of your life and see where you're compromising and deal with it. Jesus said, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. If there's something in your life that's keeping you from fully following the Lord, deal ruthlessly with yourself about it. Now, he confronts them with a choice. In verse 15, he says, If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. For the gods which your father served, they were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. Make a choice. Uh, it's possible, he says, that serving the Lord may seem evil. Denying self, having a master, having to swim upstream in the world, that can seem hard to go against the culture. If you're going to be a Christian today, you're going to have to live a countercultural life. To go against the culture, uh, that may seem evil. And uh, it says, well, if it seems evil, then choose some other God. If you want to serve Jesus Christ and God the Father, choose another God. In Joshua's view, some type of service to some God is inevitable. Everyone's going to serve something. And he wants them to make a conscious choice. See what happens with so many people. They think they're serving the true God when in effect they're not. That's true here in the Bible Belt. And if it's true here, it's certainly true elsewhere. They think they're serving God. They, uh, they are religious. They go to church. Uh, they have some Christian values. But they don't have a master who determines their choices. And they don't really swim upstream when it hurts. He wants to push them to a very conscious choice so that they won't drift into something, making a choice, but not realizing they've chosen the wrong thing. Neutrality is impossible. Jesus said, He that is not with me is against me. You have to choose sides. Compromise is impossible. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. It's a matter of who will be your master. You cannot serve God and mammon, God and the things of this world. You have to make a choice. And so he pushes them to this conscious choice. He said, now when you choose some other God, <laughs> remember the frailty of the other gods. Uh, whether the gods that uh, your father served who were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. 
the frailty of the other gods. We just conquered the land of those who worship those gods, he says. If you decide not to follow Christ, what alternatives are there? Well, we've mentioned materialism. A lot of people serve that. What can that do for you? Well, it can provide all kind of things here. But then there comes the day when you die. And all those accumulated things, you leave. And what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world? You're not even going to gain Cahaba Heights. But if he gain the whole world and lost his own soul, what would it profit? That'd be an unprofitable choice. Hedonism. Many serve that, don't they? But then there's the canker and the worm, isn't it? Uh, humanism. That man's just a product of evolutionary forces, no intelligent power behind the universe. Carl Sagan, the cosmos is all there is, all there ever was. There was a man like that uh, named Emile Callier, a uh, Frenchman. Uh, he was wounded in World War I. He'd grown up in a home which uh, was non-religious, had a really hostility, had a hostility to religion, and to Christianity particularly. And uh, he was wounded in World War I, and while he was recuperating in the hospital, there was a Scotch-Irish young lady there that uh, he married. She was a Christian. Uh, but he made it taboo to mention religion in his home. Uh, he was an avid student, and uh, uh, as he was doing his studies and all after that, <clears throat> why, uh, he kept uh, longing for a book that would understand him. And he couldn't find one, so finally he decided to make one. And he took quoting quotations of writers that he liked what they said, and he began to select from all these writers, and he put together his own book that would understand him. And he finally got it completed, and he sat down to read it. And uh, the more he read, the deeper grew his disappointment. Suddenly he realized that this patchwork of quotations wouldn't work for the simple reason that it was his own creation. It had no authority to speak. Meanwhile, his wife had gone into town with their baby, and uh, she was strolling around, and she looked for a place where she might uh, nurse the baby, and, and uh, she was wandering around, and she accidentally wandered into a Huguenot church. In those days, they were somewhat, uh, they, they had a history of being hidden, sort of, and she, she without realizing it, went into this archway and suddenly she realized she was in this Huguenot church and as she went through another door she was in the pastor's office and uh, he looked up and smiled and she said do you have a Bible in French and he smiled and handed her one it was forbidden to have a Bible in their home but without thinking of it she carried it back with us with her and as she walked in suddenly dawned on her this was taboo, and she started to apologize to her husband for having brought it home.
he had just finished reading his anthology that he'd put together and was disappointed. And he said, what's that in your hand? She said, a Bible. He said, give it to me. I've never seen one. He took it. He rushed into his study. He opened it up. His eyes fell on the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and so on. And he began to read. And he says, uh, I read and read and read, now alive, aloud, with an indescribable warmth surging within. I could not find words to express my awe and wonder. Suddenly the realization dawned on me. This was the book that would understand me. I continued to read deeply into the night, mostly of the Gospels. And lo and behold, as I looked through them, the one of whom they spoke, the one who spoke and acted in them, became alive to me. He went on to become a minister of the gospel and a theologian. Where do you turn once you want to choose some other God. You remember the disciples said, to whom shall we go? When others begin to leave, and Jesus said, will you go all the way also? Go away also? He said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else do you look if you decide not to follow the God of the Bible? You remember Elijah on Mount Carmel had the prophets of Baal, and he said, we're going to see who is the true God. And he said to the people, if the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. If Baal can do more for you than God, follow him. If materialism can do more for you than the God of the Bible, follow materialism. Follow hedonism if it can do more for you. But take the long-run view. He pushes them to an, an urgent choice now. Choose you this day. The longer we put off choosing, the more we become confirmed in evil. One statement made about, about the ten tribes, <clears throat> the northern ten tribes, after a point. God said, Ephraim, that represented all ten, Ephraim is wedded to his idols, let him alone. He's wedded to them. I've sent and called and called, I've sent prophets, and they've told Ephraim to turn Ephraim's wedded to his idols. Let him alone. That's awful. You don't want God to say that about you. The finality of Joshua's choice. Verse 15. It says, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He doesn't wait to see what they'll do. He says, Here's what I will do. Here's what my house will do. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the greatest decision you'll ever make in life. That decision right there. Nothing else is even comparable to that decision. How many have grown up in the South, in the Bible Belt, and never given 20 minutes of time to really seriously thinking about that decision? The finality of his choice, it's an immovable resolution. Despite crowds and customs, temptations and trials, we will serve the Lord. A bold, open stance for Jesus Christ. First for himself, 
then for his house, for God, the true God of the Bible. We'd say it stands for Christ now. Notice the possibility of choosing for your house. How can he choose for his house? Now, you can see how he can choose for himself, but how can he choose for his house? Well, a thoroughgoing follower of God wields a mighty influence. One reason, I'm a Christian, one reason is God predestined me, right? That's the real ultimate reason. All Presbyterians said, Amen. Okay. But humanly speaking, the instrument God used, one reason I'm a Christian is my dad was a thoroughgoing Christian. Never occurred to me to doubt whether he knew God, whether God was real, whether he walked with God. It was obvious every day of his life that I knew. And that wields an influence. Oh, I rebelled against it. But all the time I was rebelling, I knew I was rebelling against the truth. You can, you can wield a tremendous influence. Mother, dad, sister, brother. And he's going to see that his house follows the Lord to the best of his ability. Probably you are choosing for your children. You read in Second Kings 17:41 about the nations that <clears throat> occupied those, the land of the northern ten tribes. It says, "And those nations <clears throat> feared the Lord and served their graven images, both the children and their children's children, as did their fathers." so do they unto this day. As did the fathers, so do they. Well, we see this challenge to consecration, this confrontation with a choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve. And then their consent to the challenge. In verse 16, the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Uh, for the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, which did these, those great signs in our sight and uh, preserved us all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. I said, no, it'd be wrong to forsake the Lord and serve other gods. He's the one who delivered us from bondage. How about you? Have you been delivered from bondage? Egypt represented the unsaved state. They were delivered through faith in the blood of the Lamb from the judgment of death that was going through the land. Uh, if you're a Christian, you've been delivered through the blood of the real Lamb, Jesus Christ. Uh, John Newton he wrote Amazing Grace. He'd been a slaver. And he had engraved on his mantle over his fireplace, Remember thou wast a bondsman in the land of Egypt. Don't you ever forget what God has done for you. Uh, well, if God has done that, if God sent his son, if God offers himself to live within me, and in heaven to be with him forever. 
It'd be crazy not to serve him. And they said, no, we're going to serve him. And he said, wait a minute. Don't make that choice lightly. It costs to serve the Lord. And uh, verse 19, Joshua said unto the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. He wants them to count the cost. Jesus said, Which of you intending to build a tower sit it not down first and count the cost? It says, Whoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me. If any man loves father or mother more than me, he's not worthy of me. Uh, he says, Who doesn't forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Luke 14, 26 following. He said, I've got to be out front of everyone. I've got to be out front of ego, of you. I've got to be out front of everything in your life if you're going to follow me. That's the cost of following Jesus Christ. Christ out front. He's my master. Uh, so he pushes them here to count the cost. Uh, you, can't, you can't serve him with a divided heart. He won't accept half a heart. Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit. That's the man John Bunyan called Mr. Facing Both Ways. When you follow Jesus, it's not one hand on the plow. It's both hands on the plow. Burn my bridges behind me. I will follow him. Period. If he says, quit your job and go to... Mexico, I quit my job and go to Mexico. As he says, quit your job and go to Albania, I go to Albania. When you join the Marine Corps, you join the Marine Corps, you say, I want to be a Marine, but I don't want to go to Africa, and I don't want to do this. Not a... Is that the way you join the Marine Corps? That's not the way you join the Marine Corps. That's not the way you join the kingdom of God. You receive a king. You become a servant. So he, he says, count the cost. Uh... He says, he's holy. He won't forgive your sins. In some respects, God is incredibly forgiving. He can give the worst sin of the worst sinner. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be whiter than snow. When those sins are truly repented of, when we really turn from them, but sin cherished and held on to, he won't forgive. The commitment in covenant, verse 21. The people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. Joshua said unto the people, Your witnesses against yourself that you have chosen you, the Lord, to serve him. They said, We are witnesses. It's all right. Now therefore put away the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve. And his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statue and an ordinance in Sechem. They said, we will. And today we'd say, we will, in the strength which he provides, serve him. Uh, we don't serve him in our own strength, but the strength which he provides, relying on the Holy Spirit. He said, well, if you mean that, then deal with those false idols. They said, all right. What about you? You're really going to serve God. What idols need to be dealt with in your life? If you're a Christian. Still, there would be things that would be out of their proper place. 
and you need to deal with it. Why not sit before the Lord and say, Lord, show me anything out of its proper place. Maybe it's someone. Maybe it's something. Maybe it's something, some ambition. Maybe it's some habit. Show me, God, the dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from its throne and worship only Thee. If you're not a Christian, you choose. Make a conscious choice. Charles Spurgeon preached on this passage, and, and uh, he closed his sermon like this. He said, I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to go home and uh, to write down, write this down. As for me, I will serve the Lord. And put your name to it. Or... As for me, I will serve the world and put your name to it. Make a conscious choice. Let me challenge you to do that. Make a conscious choice. Let's bow in prayer. As our hearts are bowed, uh, if you're a Christian, is there some area of your life that you need to repent in? some idol that needs to be dealt with, will you deal with it with his power? Will you commit yourself to do that? If you're not a Christian, I want to push you to a conscious choice. You can make that choice right now. You don't have to wait till you get home. If you're prepared to serve the Lord and uh, you realize you've never really made a serious commitment to Christ, trusting Him to forgive you as a gift, surrendering to Him as your master, but you're prepared to do that today. You pray in your heart like this, Lord Jesus, as for me, I will serve the Lord. I trust you to forgive me, to come and live in me. Amen.